Welcome to the Adult Child of Dysfunction podcast, where we untangle the past, rewrite the present, and reclaim our future. I am your host, Tammy Vincent, and together we will break free from old patterns, heal wounds, and create new narratives. Are you ready to transform the effects of your dysfunctional past into your superpowers? Are you excited to get back in touch with your true authentic self? If so, then hit subscribe and join me weekly on the Adult Child of Dysfunction podcast. Here we will learn from experts as well as experienced thrivers how to turn our trials into smiles while living our most authentic and joyful lives. Well, hello again, everybody, for another episode. And today our special guest is Rebecca Thomas. For 20, more than 20 years, Rebecca has been helping people break through their obstacles that seem to be holding them back in life. With her high energy, contagious confidence, and natural ability to lead, she's been teaching women how to show up for themselves in big, unapologetic ways. Her clients reclaim their power, live intentionally, and do so their way, making their own rules as they go. Welcome, Rebecca. It's glad to have you. Hey. Yeah. Thank you, Tammy. It's great to be here. So tell us a little bit more about how you got into life coaching. I mean, you've obviously been a life coach for a long time, and most people come to it, honestly. So tell us a little Mm -hmm. bit more about that. Yeah. So to back up probably to the base of everything. So I'm the oldest of seven and I have five younger sisters, which funny enough, they're all in their thirties right now. So that in and of itself led me to be in my own coaching realm just through siblings. Um, so that's definitely a a core of what everything that I do, like you get some big sis energy when, with the coaching. Mm -hmm. Um, but the thing that actually led me into coaching itself was hosting people in my home through Airbnb. So several years ago, I was working from home doing something completely different. I was an email marketing salary, stay at home mom, and was trying to figure out how to supplement my income without um, giving up the autonomy I had over my schedule, but also still allowing me to spend more time with my son, volunteer at school, go to field trips with him and things like that. Um, stumbled on the term Airbnb at one point and was just like, that's the thing I can do that. Cause I was used to having friends and family in my home and making it just a very welcoming space where you could come and use it for whatever you needed to. And so when I heard that term at the same time, I was doing some personal development and uh, heard the term life coach right about the same time. And as soon as I heard it, I was like, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And it was through the experiences with completely random strangers in my home and having really amazing conversations, holding space for them, but then also being able to challenge their perspective enough that they felt heard, validate and empowered, but also felt like they had a viewpoint or something that they could harness when they left our our space where they could actually go home and do something about whatever it was that we had talked about. So that's how I got into life coaching. Very cool. I mean, that's important because it's like you can, people can read all the information in the world. They can go Mm -hmm. to self-development, you know, websites and read all this stuff, but unless they're actually given something tangible, something Mm -hmm. like a quick action step to implement, it's just, it's just a bunch of words. That's kind of mm-hmm. how I look at, you know, mm-hmm. I just feel like it's just a bunch of information. It's nothing until you get someone that's going to help you walk or walk with you. And that's, mm-hmm. I mean, that's amazing. That's what a good life coach does. And uh-huh. you said you've been yeah. doing it on and off for 20 years, which is absolutely amazing. So tell us about, um, kind of, you said the dynamics of having seven, seven sisters, no, seven siblings, six of seven them sisters. Sub- 
I'm the oldest of seven. So I had, I had a brother, he actually passed away 10 years ago and then five other sisters as well. So, um, it was a split home, so it wasn't, it was still chaotic for sure. And very interesting. And I always joke about the fact, like, I am so grateful. I had a son myself because that much feminine energy in a space, especially when most of them are in the same age groups and you hit that like preteen teenage years is just, Mm. it's a lot. I can't even imagine. (laughs) So, and it was just, I don't know. It was really interesting because when I was younger, when I was younger, I was kind of the only child for a long time until my dad got married to a second wife and they had started having kids. They had four kids together. And I had a stepbrother at the time too, when they got married and it was, it was so interesting because I had mainly grown up with my grandparents. My dad was actually in the military wasn't when I was younger. And I lived with my grandparents for a couple of years and would only see him when he came back and forth from being on leave. But then eventually he moved home. We stayed with my grandparents for a little while. He bought a house, got remarried, but I had a really, really close connection with my grandparents and So, yeah, I always had that really strong foundation and that unconditional love and that permission to be myself. Um, I think there's a different dynamic between grandkids and grandparents that isn't the same as parents and kids. And so I was, um, I was able to tap into that dynamic and use it to have a really solid idea and understanding of who I was, even when I couldn't put words to it. Which is, I mean, you're blessed. I'm just telling you, I'm aware (laughs) you are absolutely (laughs) blessed because so many of us are still in our thirties, forties, fifties, and sixties and aren't aware who we are and Mm -hmm. aren't aware that we are good enough to voice who we are and really step out. And Mm -hmm. I, I I think that's amazing um, because there's just too many people that aren't they don't feel comfortable doing that, or they don't give themselves space or grace or whatever they need. Mm -hmm. And you said, I mean, I can't even imagine the dynamics of growing up with five or six teenage girls. Mm -hmm. I kind of joke, but you had the stability of your grandparents. I kind of joke and say, we had the dysfunctional Brady bunch. My dad got remarried. Mm. So there was three girls and three boys, but there was just chaos and dysfunction that was off the charts, you know, alcoholism, fights, brawls, drugs, arrests. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it was not a fun and it, it not a fun place. And it was funny though, because in all that, I always mm-hmm. had this, okay, there's gotta be more, there's gotta be more. There's mm-hmm. gotta be, this can't be what it's supposed to be. Um, mm-hmm. it was my norm. So of course I didn't realize right. until unfortunately in my early twenties, when I was pregnant with my first one that, oh, I had a lot of work to do. <laughs> Mm-hmm. a lot of work, but it's, it's amazing. Like now I'd look back at it and go, wow, I wish I had, I wish I had had that insight and that forethought at 16 or 17 to know mm-hmm. that we're all amazing and can say and do and be who we want to do be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's great. So you talk also about, um, I know you mentioned that you did get kind of, you were a split family, but also a di- a an intertwined family, but that you had a mother. What, tell me about what would happen there. (laughs) So it's, it's really interesting. And I always have to preface by saying, I, I don't have the whole story and I don't know if I ever will. Um, the only person that's really been willing to talk about this a lot has been my mom. So I get her version. Um, but that being said, basically my dad 
her and her were going through a divorce when I was about a year and a half old, he was still stationed in the military mm-hmm. and through whatever happened, he ended up basically taking me from her and sending me to live with my grandparents. And she didn't know where I was. Oh, wow. So I was not raised with my mom. Um, she ended up, they got divorced. She ended up remarrying a couple of years after that. She's still with my other dad, my stepdad, dad. Um, but I was not raised with her. And so that's a big reason why I was always in the company of my grandparents and probably also why they, I mean, on top of just who they were for me in general, but probably also protecting me and nurturing me even more because that piece wasn't there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you have a good relationship with your stepmom? Um, so my stepmom, the second wife, we are on wife number four now. Oh, wow. Um, okay. So, <laughs> Lots of Christmas so, presents. <laughs> I, um, yeah. So actually, yeah, my dad, they ended up getting divorced when I was about, I was, gosh, 19 or 20 when they got divorced. So they were together for quite a while. Um, they got married when I was seven. So they were together for like 13 ish years. Cause mm-hmm. I can't remember that young, like how long they were dating before, before they got married. But yeah, I still occasionally connect with her. There's no hard feelings. And it's funny because like growing up, I could not stand her. We did not mm-hmm. have a good relationship. It was very toxic. Um, and so when I was younger, I was very resentful. And, and when I was a teenager, I actually ran away from home. So okay. there was, there was a lot going on. I did not want to be there for so many different reasons. And, um, on the other side of that, once I had my own son, so mind you, when I was growing up, like I said, it was me, my stepbrother, four siblings. And at one point there was also a cousin living with us too. And we were all within, you know, probably 10 years of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I had my one child, I was like, holy cow, this is a lot. No wonder, <laughs> like no wonder. And, and on top of that, when I was younger, I was privy to s- learning about some of the things that had actually happened to her when she was younger too. So things that contributed to her own trauma. Um, and so that when I had my son, that's where things really started to come together. And I had a lot of compassion and understanding and forgiveness too, for the entire situation, because I struggled a lot with just one child, let alone with, you know, six kids, seven kids, um, on top of never really getting help for the things that she had also navigated when she was younger. So, yeah. Well, I think that's important too, to be able to give grace to people because that's when I started really doing my serious healing was when I understood that my parents didn't mean to do what they did. They were Mm -hmm. fighting their own demons. I mean, they Mm -hmm. had both been, I mean, just bad, bad circumstances, Mm -hmm. you know, but it, and it was nice to be able to say, okay, alcoholism is a disease. You know, all Mm -hmm. those things were from a disease. It was coming from her just trying to bury and, and hide and, and just Mm -hmm. survive. Like my parents were in survival mode my whole life. So, Oh yeah. Of course I kicked it. You know, I got, I took the brunt of that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was when I was 26 pregnant with my first one had no idea what unconditional love even felt like. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my goodness, how am I going to be a mom? Like, how am I going to do this to try to pull from little bits and pieces? And I was fortunate like you were that I did have my grandmother who I think loved, I mean, I know she loved me unconditionally, but I never Mm -hmm. even told her until I was 40 years old 
what happened to me as a child. So mm. I feel like she never even really knew the real me. Yeah. You know, had I had that courage to come out and tell people, I think, you know, we would have connected on a different level. Yeah. And not only the courage to come out and tell people, but also like you were saying, like that was your norm, right? So the things we go through, we think are normal and generally because they're normal because it's something that's been passed down and happened over multiple generations. So nobody blinks an eye because that's just how it's always been. But I think the other piece that really helped me over the last couple of years, more with language than anything, because I've already, like, I've done a ton of healing. I've done a ton of work. I'm in a really good place with a lot of things that doesn't mean I'm doing everything uh, perfectly, but it does mean that instead of it being a right, wrong, good or bad, your fault, my fault type of thing, it's more, let's get curious. Let's understand that. So the thing that really helped put it in perspective for me especially, so I don't know how much, or if you talk with your audience about being a transitional character, have you Mm. heard of that term before? I've heard the term. Yeah. So it's basically when you're a transitional character, you look back on the things that have been normalized in your family and your society and your circles, whatever that looks like, and you make an intentional choice to do it differently. So healed people, heal people instead of hurt people, hurt people, healed people, heal people. And so at one point I heard somebody talking about the fact that back in the day um, and forever and ever and ever and ever safety and self-esteem has come from tribe. So the, how that was created and how it was secured was, you know, kind of all for one, one for all. So we didn't speak to those individual traumas that happened to the person because that's not how we found safety. We found safety in tribe. And so a lot of the older generations and still some of us still are still there. And again, not a right, wrong thing, not good or bad, but there's a lot of us that are actually swinging to the other side of that where we're being the transitional characters. And it's more about like safety is in me and that's how I create it. And um, my self-esteem and my confidence is also taking pride in accepting and loving who I am as an individual versus trying to fit in. Amen. I mean, I think that's the whole basis of everything I talk to people about is that you have everything you need inside of you. You just need to believe it's in there. And if you're looking for positivity or anything from the external forces or the outside, you're not going to have to be able to look within, but you also have to do the healing work to be able to feel that you're truly worthy of these mm-hmm. things. You know, you have mm-hmm. to believe you have it all inside of you and you have to believe it's all good, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? And the tricky part is, is you can't really believe it until you kind of like fake it until you make it. It's mm-hmm. taking that initial first step, scared or not, usually scared, um, and being able to take those little steps. But that is what actually builds that self-trust and that self-confidence and lets you show up more authentically because then all of a sudden, you're proving to yourself that, that, that it's different than what you thought it was before based on past experience. Right. Oh, it's like the first, I joke and I say, it's the first time you set a boundary and you set it. And then all of a sudden, you know, and you're kind of like, Ooh, and then you get like, someone looks at you like an awe, like, wow, this girl can stand up for herself. And the next thing, you know, it becomes easier and easier. And then you're building Mm -hmm. your self-confidence and your self-esteem and everything. So Mm -hmm. you obviously, I can't, I'm still trying to wrap my head around this dynamics of living in your family. And I, I can't, yeah. because I know I have three children and they're all grown uh-huh. now. My youngest is in college, but I remember days of just, whoa, like, how do mm-hmm. you do this as a parent? And it's even harder now. I, I truly believe that, mm-hmm. um, you know, for people that are growing up, it's, 
or went through junk. I mean, you look in the school system and there's just so much, there's so much adversity and there's so many things these poor children are dealing with Mm -hmm. and the parents have it tough. The parents have, you know, I don't know if you deal mostly with parents or children. Is it mostly parents? Adults. Adults. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what would be some advice you might give to adults if you see their child that is suffering with these battles of authenticity and Mm -hmm. self-esteem, those type issues? The biggest thing I think is first of all, giving them a space that they can show up and be heard Mm -hmm. without having to react or make it feel better for the person. So as a parent, that's something that can be really hard. We don't like to see our kids hurt. And also like, we want to get in front of them with the lessons because, oh my gosh, you don't need to learn that the hard way. But a lot of times, like we can't rob people of our, of their lessons. And that's actually where a lot of that disconnection from self-trust comes from as somebody else is constantly reassuring you or making it better or fixing it. And then you don't you don't embody and trust that you have the power to do that. And you always feel like you're the mercy out, like whatever is happening to you in your life. So I think the biggest thing is be very intentional about hearing the words that they have to say, not taking them personally because it's parents. It's also, of course, like that's our kiddo, right? So what's more personal, especially when you're dealing with preteens and teens than the things that they have to say because they're hurting or they want to attack or they're testing the limits but being able to really set boundaries around what is and isn't okay and respecting those boundaries and reinforcing those boundaries, but also giving them the space to feel, to express themselves and then being able to circle back, like sit with it from our end right? and chew on like, where, where's my accountability in this? How am I showing up in this? What is this triggering me? But then also giving your kiddo the space to be able to trust themselves, be able to feel uncomfortable emotions and be able to feel them alongside somebody else especially somebody that's there for, excuse me, there for them, loves them um, and letting them be a support system versus like, we have to have this constant back and forth and butting of heads. Right. Oh no, a hundred percent agreed. And emotional intelligence, I swear, I think it's something they should teach in school. They should, Mm -hmm. and there's roundabout ways of doing it without being today. We're going to have our emotional intelligence class, Right. right? but just it's, And it's hard because some of the, you know, like I said, I started my healing journey on at 26 when I was pregnant with my first one, but you better believe I made some mistakes because I Mm -hmm. was in the beginning of it. I was just Mm -hmm. starting to really unravel the layers and layers and layers of, Mm -hmm. I just, I mean, I just flat out put it damage. I mean, emotional damage, all kinds of damage. Oh yeah. So like with my first one, there really weren't boundaries. You know, I didn't understand Mm -hmm. that. I didn't, I was, I wanted to do, like you said, I wanted to be everything to everybody that nobody was to me. Which is so funny because then we're also robbing ourselves of being that person for ourselves. Kind of like you were talking about earlier, you know, looking for that validation or whatever it is outside of ourselves. That just means we're constantly chasing it and looking for somebody else to do it for us versus understanding and embodying that we can do that for ourselves. You know, it's like I tell people just sit with the small version of yourself or sit with another version of yourself and say, am I treating that person the way I would treat my best friend? Mm, Like become your own best friend, because until you can like, I mean, I know your little inner critic that does this in your little head, you would never talk to your friends the way you let that that little voice talk to you. And, And it's just. But again, it's hard. And you, so where would you suggest to people, like, what did you have an aha moment? I mean, you, I feel like you were completely blessed in that you had some insight mm-hmm. because you didn't, 
I'm not saying you didn't go through dysfunction because you absolutely oh, yeah, yeah. did. Um, but you I had a really strong foundation love. first. Yeah. Yes. And so- also, so I think the other thing for me too, is like my core values yes. are authenticity, autonomy, and curiosity. So like the fact that authenticity and autonomy are, are two of the three core values for mm-hmm. me is another reason that I was able to, even when I didn't really know what it meant, still belong to myself. I mean, I'm as stubborn as the day is long. Um, I'm more graceful with that now than I was when mm-hmm. I was younger, but at the same time, like that's something that really allowed me to show up as myself. And it was always more important to me to respect myself. Um, but yes. that was piggybacked again on that solid foundation of being given space to, to yes. be able to show up like that. So what would you say is a first step to someone who is listening to this? Cause a lot of the people listening to this relate and a lot of people listening to this are like, mm, I, I don't know where to begin because I yeah. don't have that self-respect at all. Yeah. So I guess what would be the end goal in that? Do you have one or do you want me to speak to it in general or speak to it as far as someone that is listening? That is a lot of the people that I deal with are really literally at that beginning stages of awareness versus accepting Mm -hmm. that until they Mm -hmm. do something about what has, you know, their subconscious beliefs and all of that stuff. So that nothing's going to change. So they're really just kind of coming to terms with, okay, what was done to me as a child or not done for me as a Mm -hmm. child, regardless, Mm -hmm. has really changed who I am. Where do I begin? Mm -hmm. So I would say the big thing is paying attention to how you feel. And even if you don't have language for that yet, honoring and recognizing that something feels off, something feels uncomfortable, something feels like you want to change it. And it's okay if you don't have the answers for what that looks like or what the language is that's okay. But honoring that and paying attention to it and not ignoring it, because the more you ignore it, the more it's going to hit you in the face, (laughs) the more it's going to be like, Oh, didn't learn your lesson yet. Okay. Here I am again. So I think that's, that's like the big signal in the beginning. But I think the other thing that's really, really important is curiosity. Yes. So again, it's so easy to do that something's wrong with me. Something's wrong with them. It's their fault. It's my fault. I'm a bad person. They're a bad person. This was a bad thing. I think Gabor Matei said it better than anybody I've ever heard. And it's trauma. Isn't the thing that happens to you. It's what happens alone inside of you or what happens inside of you when you've been left alone with the trauma. So that means you weren't given the support, the coping mechanisms, healthy coping mechanisms, the tools to be able to navigate that. So what did you do with it? the best that you knew how, but you're still carrying all of that moving forward. So I think getting really curious around the things that don't feel right anymore and choosing not to judge it for yourself or for somebody else and Mm -hmm. not trying to like, not trying to control how somebody else shows up because we can't do that. Right. Mm -hmm. But starting to recognize like what is and isn't okay with it. How does it feel? But then also where did this come from? So that understanding of why do I do that the way I do that? Why does that make me immediately pissed? Why does this, why does that? Because those feelings are there as information to help inform us. And the more that we can get curious and sit with them, not only does it normalize it, but then you can start taking that information and building healthier boundaries. And those healthier boundaries are actually the thing that allow you to operate from your integrity. And that's the thing that I think that, especially when we've been through a lot of trauma, especially as children, like it's that trust piece, right? That Mm self-trust piece. So when we can operate from our integrity, 
with those healthy boundaries, we trust ourselves first, which means we also recognize where we have power to change things for ourselves or between ourselves and somebody else, and then be able to build that into self-trust, which turns into grounded confidence, which turns into living authentically. Absolutely. I absolutely, yes, I love it. And just the self, the self-trust piece is so, Mm -hmm. um, I used to carry around when I first started, I remember somebody said to me, well, the first step was how does that make you feel that the, the mm, famous mm-hmm. question you get from the therapist? And I didn't even know what feel meant. Yeah. So it was like, okay, write down a book, like just carry it right. around. And I still do it. I'll still jot down like, okay, so it is so like, literally like what triggered me, what made me so angry mm-hmm. so quickly when it wasn't a big deal. And you really yeah. have to like, I, sometimes I'll write it down and then I'll lay in bed at night and I'll just be like, okay, why did I do that? Like mm-hmm, what would have, mm-hmm. and, and it's following that back and back and back. Yeah. And so following you, the breadcrumbs, following the breadcrumbs. Exactly. And I mean, it's huge. And I think I yeah. agree hundred percent too, that awareness is just so much of the key because, you know, we're, we're barking out of our subconscious Mm-hmm. behaviors and our beliefs and our, our subconscious system. Mm-hmm. That's where all these things are coming from. And until yeah. you get down those layers and really figure that out and kind of rewire yeah. that. So I'm assuming a lot of what you do is those limiting beliefs and those rewiring. Uh-huh. The subconscious. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So yep. um, talk a little bit about that with your, your clients. Yeah. So it's, it's so funny because a lot of times they'll come to the table and they think it's one thing, right. But again, they don't have the language generally. They're usually at that space where something feels off and they just know it's so uncomfortable. They can't allow it to continue that way anymore. And they need to do something, but they don't know what to do. They don't know how to trust themselves to do anything. So it's a lot of really taking the time to understand again, like getting curious. Why, why are we doing things this way? Um, understanding how our families and friend circles have contributed to that. So even going back to what you asked me before, what are some things you can do right now as you're starting to see that something's off and you want to change it? Another key piece is making sure that you're putting yourself in spaces where what you're trying to do is already normal and healthy. Because when we try to set those new boundaries and do things differently, be that transitional character and do the healing, most people in our spaces, not because they're not generally because they're being malicious. Um, sometimes it does happen, but more often than not, like they just want things to be familiar. And mm-hmm. so when we're doing those things in a new way, it's easy to diminish because in a way that's holding up a mirror to their behaviors too, right? Like all of a sudden you're challenging and saying something else is possible for you. Well, naturally, well, if it's possible for you, it's possible for me, but do I want to sit with that? So making sure that you're surrounding yourself with people that are already doing the work in a healthy way can give you support, not necessarily commiserate, not necessarily use that. So there's a term called woundology, which is using um, trauma as social currency. So not necessarily in those ways, but normalizing the feelings, the conversation and being able to, you know, talk about like, is this what you experienced? What did that look like? What resources do you use? How did you navigate that? What did, how did you get through it? Um, But then again, just building that self-trust, because a lot of times, one of the reasons we don't trust ourselves is because it's not us that we've been trusting all this time or that we've been giving the power over to. And again, not right or wrong. It's just how it happens most often. Mm -hmm. So starting to recognize like what you prefer and how to stay your integrity 
and then be giving a space. And so that's what I do is I give you the space to show up as yourself. Cause you don't have to react to me. I have zero expectations. I've got healthy boundaries, but I don't have expectations. Mm-hmm. So what you need that to be and what you need to feel and express is key to building that self-trust, validating your emotions and feelings and experiences, and then being able to move through that and get on the other side of it. And I think another big piece too, for all of that, like Brene Brown has the book, the Atlas of the heart. Have you ever talked about that? Yeah. And that's like, again, language, language is so important, especially when you're in the beginning, you don't, you don't have the language for it. Something just feels off. And so being able to understand what those feelings are and what can either create bigger pain points with them or what can actually help shift them. Part of that is understanding what you're feeling and what that means. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. You got a lot of, a lot of wisdom, a lot of wisdom behind you. <laughs> so do you do um, mostly group coaching or mostly one-on-one or how do you, how are you set up mostly? So I do mostly one-on-one coaching. Um, if we work together long enough, you do actually have the option to bring a second person in, whether oh. that's somebody that you want to heal with or somebody that you want to show how to better support you on your journey. Um, I also do small teams coaching too, and that can be private or business. I do have a corporate training out there. Uh, but everything that we do circles back to that healthy boundaries, qualifying decisions, qualifying goals, mm-hmm. um, building in points of accountability, challenge, celebration, but just deepening that understand that understanding and that awareness and making sure that you are connecting with yourself as well as others and getting outside of your head. So absolutely. So if people want to work with you, what is the best place for them to go? I mean, I'm going to put all your links in the show notes and everything, yeah. but just if they want to reach out right now, they're like, man, mm-hmm. I need to talk to Rebecca. What do I do? Yeah. So probably the quickest way would be on Facebook messenger through my Facebook page. So Rebecca Thomas, more than a life coach or Maria Venus, you look either one of those up and I'll come up on Facebook. My website's under that. My Instagram's under that. My LinkedIn's under that. But if you want to get a hold of me, start having a conversation or even just go there and see what I've been sharing and what that looks like and get a feel for who I am. And and if anything's resonating, then that's absolutely the first place you should go. Absolutely. Because I think, you know, in all of this, it's, it's very difficult to do this all on your own. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it, it, it's, it's almost impossible. I remember when I first started and I didn't want to go to therapy and they didn't have coaches and group coaching yeah. and all oh, stuff yeah. back then. I mean, I was literally at the bookstore, like flipping through like, okay, right. suicide, depression, anxiety, yeah. alcohol, like, what do I do? You know? And I didn't have those resources and now they do, you do have those resources and it's a an accountability partner or accountability mm-hmm. group is just so critical. I think this, oh, yeah. and it, it's just critical to your healing. You know, it's very, oh, yeah. very helpful. Yeah. And I, we appreciate that for sure. Right. Mm-hmm. Having that out there. Cause you know, I, I joke and say, man, what I would have went have done for the internet 35 years mm-hmm. ago. Yeah. But it's funny we say that, but even so, like if it happened 35 years ago, we still wouldn't have the normalization of mental health and, and talking yeah. about our trauma and all those things too. So it's just like everything else. It's a process, right? Like yeah. everything for some, somehow just kind of clicks together when it's supposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that also brings up another point. Like one of the things that makes it so challenging right now to do the work yourself too, is the overwhelming amount of information. Yes. So being able to not feel like you have to plug into every single piece of information, every single idea, every single healing modality, but then be able to still recognize and focus on what's actually going to create traction in my, in my healing journey. 
Exactly. And I like to say awareness is to, uh, awareness and mm-hmm. education is a key because like you said, mm-hmm. what works for one person is not going to work for everybody. Exactly. And you can't do them all, you know, I mean, you, yeah. Can't, yeah. you can't wake yeah. up Monday and go, okay, hypnotherapy, EMDR, TFT, let's, right. talk, let's dance, let's uh, do yoga. There's too many rabbit holes. There's too, way too many rabbit holes, <laughs> but I mean, but you know, it's, it's good to just have a, a, a process and to have a way mm-hmm. to just start becoming aware, like you said, and start and baby steps, because mm-hmm. it took some people 30, 40, 50 years to get to the point even where they're like, oh my gosh, like you said, no words, mm-hmm. but it's just not right. I'm just not mm-hmm. happy. I'm not happy in my finances, in my relationships, in my children's, you know, anything. Yeah. And it's this feeling of, I just don't know why. And mm-hmm. so, yes, I think it's super important to, yeah, don't get buried in all these modalities uh-huh. and to do everything. And it also just- in, in trying to find one more way to fix yourself, because there's nothing that needs to be fixed. We're constantly evolving and changing as humans, but to feel like, oh, I just need to fix this one more thing and fix this one more thing. Like that's also not sustainable. It's exhausting. It's not healthy either. Like you're still missing the beauty of accepting yourself and and being. And I was just going to say you're in all of that, you're missing just being, you're just, mm-hmm. just enjoying being and just finding that joy, finding mm-hmm. that innate joy that you have in there. Mm-hmm. So, well, thank you so much for coming. So before you, we sign yeah. off, I want you to, if you could give one piece or words of wisdom or something uh-huh. from Rebecca Thomas to yep. leave people with, what would you, what would it be? Be kind to my friend. I always say that, especially working with women, which is the majority of what I do, it's so easy to, like you were saying earlier, the inner dialogue that we share with ourselves is hardly ever something that we would say to something out somebody else. And so when I'm starting to work with people or even people I've just met, if we're not working together and they're having a rough day or they're sharing something, I always say, be kind to my friend, because if they haven't done enough work with themselves to recognize the self-value and have compassion for themselves. It's still hard to show up for ourselves, but when you put the language that way, it's like this little life hack where it's you, I'm still asking you to be kind to yourself and maybe you're not doing it for yourself yet, but it's planting that seed of like, this is what that looks like and still holding you accountable. But it's also something we can use with other people too. be kind to my friend. Absolutely. I love that. Be kind to my friend. Yeah. And I, it's like that, that you, little you sitting next to you and uh-huh. just treating it like your best friend. Absolutely. Yep. Well, thank yeah. you so much for coming. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. And for everybody out there listening, once again, it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've gone mm-hmm. through. You are absolutely divinely beautiful inside. You have everything you need inside to have a joyous you. And you're looking at proof positive that there's joy. There's absolute joy Mm -hmm. out there. Thank you very much and have a blessed week. Bye guys. Thanks so much for joining me today on the Adult Child of Dysfunction podcast. If this episode resonated with you or you think someone else could benefit from what you heard, why not share it with someone you care about? Let's heal from our past and take back control of our lives together. If you're interested in learning more, head on over to www.tammyvincent.com for a free chapter of my book, Surviving Alcoholic Parents. While you're there, be sure to catch my invigorating seminar, Awakening Your Authentic Self. Together, we will rewrite our stories and turn trials into triumphant smiles. Until next time, 
Keep embracing your strength. Keep being you and know that you are more than enough. You are way more than enough right here, right now.